0: Genesis chapter 30, verses 1 to 24, Jacob's progeny. Now, when Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she became jealous of her sister, and she said to Jacob, Give me children, or else I die. (laughs) Then Jacob's anger burned against Rachel, and he said, Am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? And she said, Here is my maid Bilhah. Go into her that she may bear on my knees, that through her I too may have children. So she gave him her maid Bilhah as a wife, and Jacob went into her. And Bilhah conceived and bore a son. Then Rachel said, God has vindicated me, and has indeed heard my voice, and has given me a son. Therefore she named him Dan. And Rachel's maid Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. So Rachel said, With mighty wrestlings I have wrestled with my sister, and I have indeed prevailed. And she named him Naphtali. When Leah saw that she had stopped bearing, she took her maid Zilpah and gave her to Jacob as a wife. And Leah's maid Zilpah bore Jacob a son. Then Leah said, How fortunate! So she named him Gad. And Leah's maid Zilpah bore Jacob a second son. Then Leah said, Happy am I, for women will call me happy. So she named him Asher. Now in the days of wheat harvest, Reuben went and found mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother Leah. Then Rachel said to Leah, Please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But she said to her, Is it a small matter for you to take my husband? And would you take my son's mandrakes also? So Rachel said, Therefore he may lie with you tonight in return for your son's mandrakes. When Jacob came in from the field in the evening, then Leah went out to meet him and said, You must come into me, for I have surely hired you with my son's mandrakes. So he lay with her that night. And God gave heed to Leah, and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. Then Leah said, God has given me my wages because I gave my maid to my husband. So she named him Issachar. And Leah conceived again and bore a sixth son to Jacob. Then Leah said, God has endowed me with a good gift. Now my husband will dwell with me because I have borne him six sons. So she named him Zebulun, and afterward she bore a daughter and named her Dinah. Then God remembered Rachel and gave heed to her and opened her womb. So she conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. And she named him Joseph, saying, May the Lord give me another son. Amen. Let's pray. Our Lord, we're grateful for your holy word. We thank you that you've given it to us and that it is in our possession that we might know you and have eternal life. Thank you for sending your son and thank you that these incidents of the past many years ago were not happenstance, were not accidents, but these were ordained by you so that our salvation might be accomplished eventually by the coming death and resurrection of our Lord and Savior. We thank you for him, and we thank you for the grace you've given us. Continue, Lord, to grant us grace and insight as we study your word. In Christ's name, amen. Here at the beginning of the chapter, we have a continuation of what was in the previous chapter, the last paragraph of the previous chapter. Jacob, he is married by that point to Leah and Rachel. Leah... She bears him four sons in the previous chapter. And then we pick it up in chapter 30, verse 1. Rachel, the other wife of Jacob, sees it. It says in verse 1, Rachel saw saw that she bore Jacob no children. When she saw that, she became jealous of her sister and she said to Jacob, Give me children or else I die. She is demanding and insisting That Jacob give her something that is really not in his power to give and she knows that we'll see that she actually does know that that's why she prays to the Lord and thanks the Lord for answering her prayers but as it is when jealousy arises and as it is when there is contention in a household people say things that are irrational when they know in their proper state of mind what is better and she says, give me children or else I die. She wants to bear children, which is typical of women. They want to be married and to bear children, which is a good thing. However, God has refrained her from enjoying this blessing. And it is a reproach, a reproach to them in a, and a reproach in the presence of others that they might be barren. And she understands that. So she doesn't want to live with the torment and the stress of this reproach and this desire for children that is unfulfilled. And she's saying that she would rather die. Not that she's going to do something to harm herself, but she feels that way and she expresses that to her husband. Well, Jacob understands, he knows that this is improper and irrational. That's why in verse 2, Jacob's anger burned against Rachel. His anger burned righteously. Because here, in this case, Rachel is in the wrong, so that's why his anger burned against her. And he says, Am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? And the answer is no. Jacob is not in God's place. God can do whatever he wishes, and God is the one who gives life and takes away life. This rebuke of Rachel from Jacob is similar to what Job said when Job's wife said, why do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. And his response to her was, you speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept evil? And Job did not sin with his lips. Job 2.10. And in the same way here, Jacob confronts the sin of his wife with, am I in the place of God? Absolutely not. We're not in God's place. We're not equal to God. We're not superior to God. We can't do anything. And it is God who has withheld from Rachel the fruit of the womb. God is the one who did it, not Jacob. So she should pursue it with God. Petition God, pray to Him. Verse 3, or take the means of having children, which she does in verse 3. And she said, Here is my maid Bilhah, go into her that she may bear on my knees, that I through her, uh, that through her I too may have children. Her maid Bilhah came into the marriage as a slave woman when Rachel was married to Jacob in the previous chapter. And this slave woman not only helps with matters inside the house, but according to the will of her mistress, that is Rachel, according to the will of her mistress, um, Rachel, whenever Rachel desires it, then this maid can become a wife of the husband, of Rachel's husband, Jacob, and the children that she bears will belong to Rachel, if Rachel so wants them to be that way and to receive an inheritance. It all depends on the master and the mistress and what happens there. And that's why she says that through her, I too may have children. This is the same as what happened in Genesis 16 when Sarah was barren and Sarah wanted children. Sarah gave Hagar to Abraham as a wife. And notice also here in verse 4, So she gave him, her maid Bilhah, as a wife. So this is not fornication, it's not casual sex, it's not a one-night stand or anything like that that is typically done in the world. This was actually a marriage. She became another wife to Jacob. And Jacob went into her, so he does what his wife desires of him to do. Jacob goes along with it in this sense. He doesn't resist. He knows what the procedure is. For him to obtain another wife and for those children to belong to him and to Rachel. And notice in verse 5, And Bilhah conceived and bore a son. She conceived and bore a son. Verse 6, Then Rachel said, God has vindicated me, and has indeed heard my voice, and has given me a son. Therefore she named him Dan. Rachel said God vindicated her. That was the the, the human way, or the practical way, was for Bilhah to be given to Jacob as a wife. But since conception comes from God, children come from God, Rachel acknowledged that in verse 6, God has vindicated me. And she gave the name of the son Dan, which means he judged or judge or he vindicated, meaning God is the one who vindicated her. And she also acknowledges in verse six that God heard her voice, heard her voice. And the son born is belonging to Rachel, has given me a son, given me, Rachel, a son, Therefore, she named him Dan. Dan meaning judged or he judged. God judged between her and her sister. And for that matter, any other person who would have disparaged and disdained Rachel for being barren, childless, till this point in her marriage. Well, this continues, verse 7. And Rachel's maid Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. So Rachel said, With mighty wrestlings I have wrestled with my sister, and I have indeed prevailed. And she named him Naphtali. Now this means wrestlings of God. Wrestlings of God. With these mighty wrestlings, she had wrestled with God in prayer, and in this case against her sister, and she prevailed again in this case, by having another son. Through Bilhah, notice also, it's through Bilhah, not herself. Therefore, the name Naphtali, which means wrestlings or wrestlings of God. We also notice that Rachel is the one naming these sons. She named him Dan in verse 6 and in verse 8, and she named him Naphtali. Bilhah does not do so. Rachel does so. Gives names to, to these sons. Verse 9, Leah now. Verse 9, when Leah saw that she had stopped bearing, she took her maid, Zilpah, and gave her to Jacob as a wife. Z, uh, Leah also came into the marriage with Jacob with a slave woman, Zilpah. And at this point, it says, verse 9, when Leah saw that she had stopped bearing which means that after she bore those four in the previous chapter, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, after she bore them, she stopped bearing, and then she saw that Rachel was bearing through Bilhah, so she does the same. Leah does the same, and it says in verse 9, she took her maid, Zilpah, and gave her to Jacob, as a wife. There's our fra- phrase again. As a wife. And Leah's maid Zilpah bore Jacob a son. Then Leah said, how fortunate. So she named him Gad. Gad or God. Um, in this case, she names him, not Zilpah. And this name means with fortune or um, with, with a, a good fortune. This is what the name means. She knows that this, and she doesn't mean fortune in the sense of by accident. She knows this is coming from God because earlier with her first four sons, she recognized and acknowledged that the Lord is the giver of life. She knew that and she acknowledged that. And we will also see that later later in the the chapter when Leah bears herself, not through Zilpah, she knows that the children she's bearing are coming from God. So this fortune, she's not attributing that to accident or happenstance, that it just so happened that way, but she means fortune in the sense that God has granted her good fortune, a good blessing. Verse 12. And Leah's maid Zilpah bore Jacob a second son. Then Leah said, Happy am I, for women will call me happy. So she named him Asher, which means happy or blessed. Happy or blessed. That's the name Asher. And here she's acknowledging that what happens to her, also it transfers to the estimation of other women, and everyone will acknowledge her as being happy. And they also, these other women, acknowledge that though Zilpah bears it, uh, bears the son, that these sons belong to Leah. Everybody knows how this happens or how it works. 14, verse 14. Now in the days of wheat harvest, Reuben went and found mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother Leah. Then Rachel said to Leah, "'Please give me some of your son's mandrakes.'" The time of wheat harvest would be about the time of our month, May. About the time of the month of May. Reuben, at this point, would have been uh, a small boy, just a few years old, because they began to bear children after Jacob was in the land for seven years, and between the second seven years, so between the eighth year and the fourteenth year, that's when all of these children we read about in this section, that's when they were born. At the end of chapter 29, and here in chapter 30, verse 24, they are born in the seven years after Jacob was in the land seven years. So in the second seven-year period, that's when all of these are born. So let's say Reuben was born in the eighth year, and the seven years have not passed yet. He is no older than seven years old. Right. Probably four, five, six, no more than seven years old. So he goes into the field. He finds this fruit, the mandrakes, and he brings them to his mother. Look, mom, what I found. And if they were yellow, which pr- probably they were, because they. They are also called the yellow apple. They're also called the the May apple. The May apple and a yellow apple. It was a fruit, presumably yellow. And of course, to a young boy, finding something like that in the field, he would want to come home and show the, the household what he found, and especially his mother, what he had found. And that's what happens here. Um, now, there is some tradition, historical note and tradition that the people in this land of, in the Middle East and surrounding areas, that they believe that this mandrake fruit produced more, more zeal or energy or desire for romance and sexual attraction and perhaps even produced fertility. So at the very least, they knew that it was something that stimulated them. And therefore, partaking of it was something good for for married couples um, to partake. So they knew that. And that's why we see from verse 15 the following. But she said to her, Is it a small matter for you to take my husband? And would you take my son's mandrakes also? What does she mean? What does Leah mean by this? Because it's Leah's son, Reuben, who found them, brings them to Leah. And then in verse 14, Rachel wanted them. Please give me some of your son's mandrakes. Not all of them, but some of them, which is reasonable. But they negotiate. And in their negotiation, Jacob, from this exchange, we understand Jacob was primarily with Rachel not Leah. So, Leah says, you've taken him away. I hardly see him. You've taken away my husband. You want want to also take my son's mandrakes? So Rachel said, verse 15, therefore he may lie with you tonight in return for your son's mandrakes. Why? Because Rachel wants to partake of the mandrakes to help her and her infertility. And, so she negotiates, okay, he can be with you tonight for this. So verse 16, when Jacob came in from the field in the evening, then Leah went out to meet him and said, You must come in to me, for I have surely hired you with my son's mandrakes. So he lay with her that night. Now, by the way, some might think, how could it be that women would be like this in ter- terms of wanting and desiring both their husbands to be with them overnight like this uh, for, to have marital relations, but also that they wanted to bear children. Well, actually, if a woman is being honest, she w- wants this more often than we realize. They need this more often than we realize or that they are willing to admit. In our feminist culture, that uh, sometimes women don't talk this way about wanting a husband, wanting to be with their husband, and wanting to bear children. But more often than not, in their heart, they really do want this. And that's what's being expressed here. Well, was all of this ordained? Or is this merely a dispute between two women? Look at verse 17. And God gave heed to Leah, and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. So because of that time with Jacob, she conceived again. And notice, God gave heed to Leah. Which means what? That Leah was praying to God, right. and then God answered her prayer. So God was behind this also. The human actions and the conflict and the exchange between the two, Leah and Rachel, yes, that's happening, but there is something greater Ordained and appointed by God, and that is the will of God to answer Leah's prayer. God gave heed to Leah, and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. Then Leah said, God has given me my wages because I gave my maid to my husband. So she named him Issachar. Now, this name Issachar means wage or bearing a wage or something like that. And So she attributes this conception, verse 18, to God. In verse 17, the Holy Spirit and Moses say, God gave heed to Leah. In verse 18, Leah says it in her own words, God has given me my wages. What she exchanged with the mandrakes, she got something better in return. Another son. All from God. Verse 19. And Leah conceived again and bore a sixth son to Jacob. Then Leah said, God has endowed me with a good gift. Now, my husband will dwell with me because I have borne him six sons. So she named him Zebulun. Zebulun meaning either to dwell or to honor. And probably to dwell because she says, Now my husband will dwell with me. To dwell or a dwelling. That she really wanted to be with her husband more often than not. And she is glad that or hopeful that Jacob would do so because now she has literally borne him six sons plus two sons from Zilpah. So really it's eight sons. But from her own womb, six of them. And again, in verse 20, Leah says, God has endowed me. God has given me. God has given this gift to me. A good gift. That is, another son. Verse 21. And afterward she bore a daughter and named her Dinah. That is, Leah bore Dinah to Jacob. Now, this is the only Daughter, named of Jacob's progeny, offspring. This is the only one we have named here. And probably because this will come up in chapter 34. In chapter 34, Shechem, a man of the city of Shechem, is going to rape Dinah, the daughter of Jacob. And that's probably why she's mentioned by name in our chapter. But just as a note... Jacob didn't have just 12 sons and one daughter. He had daughters in the plural. In chapter 37, in chapter 37 and verse 35, chapter 37 and verse 35, it says, Then all his sons and all his daughters arose to comfort him. It says, all his sons and all his daughters. Well, all his sons, by this point, we know that he has 12 sons. And so when it says all his daughters, it has to be at least two daughters, probably more than that. Chapter 46. Chapter 46. Genesis 46. 46. 15, forty-six. Fifteen. These are the sons of Leah, whom she bore to Jacob in Padanaram with his daughter Dinah. All his sons and his daughters numbered 33. 33 sons and daughters. Then, back to verse 7. 46.7 His sons and his grandsons with... Him, his daughters, and his granddaughters, and all his descendants he brought with him to Egypt. Now, verse 7 is important because someone might think by daughters they just mean daughters and granddaughters, or, or just granddaughters, um, because of the sons and them marrying and like that. But no, it is actually literal daughters and also then granddaughters according to 46.7. Jacob had a few daughters as well. We don't know the exact number. Um, Probably it it could be the difference between the 12 sons of Jacob and the 33 of 46.15. It might be that number, which um, would be 21. 21, 21 daughters. So then... Back to Genesis 30. Genesis 30, verse 22. 30, 22. Then God remembered Rachel, and God gave heed to her, and opened her womb. So she conceived and bore a son, and said, God has taken away my reproach. And she named him Joseph, saying, May the Lord give me another son. Verse 22. Moses, the Holy Spirit, in Moses tells us in verse 22, then God remembered Rachel and God gave heed to her. That means that she too had been praying all this while, praying for a son from her own womb. God answered her prayer and opened her womb. And so in verse 23, From Rachel's own mouth, she says, God, quote, God has taken away my reproach, unquote. Rachel is acknowledging it. Not only Moses, but Rachel herself knows that this is a gift of God to take away her reproach or her infamy with other people, especially with Leah. Um, Then 24, notice her faith. Notice her faith. And she named him Joseph. What does Joseph mean? Joseph means to add or he added. To add or he added is the meaning of the name Joseph. And so when he was born, she says, May the Lord add to me another son. Or give to me another son. She's thankful for the one, but she really wants another. So she's praying and hoping for another. And who was that other one in chapter 35? Benjamin. It was who? Benjamin. 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 So Joseph and Benjamin were born of Rachel. Joseph and Benjamin. We also see in verse 24, she uses the name the Lord, that is Yahweh. Yahweh, the Lord, the covenantal God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Yes, throughout they've been saying God, even Moses has been saying God, such as verse 17, but in verses 17 and 22, saying God. God as creator, God as the sovereign one who does as he pleases as the almighty creator. And conception and birth have to do with God as creator. But it's not devoid or exclusive of God's covenant with his people. His covenant with his people, which Leah, she emphasized in the birth of her sons in chapter 29, 31 to 35. Because there explicitly at least 3 times she uses the name the Lord the covenant name of God the Lord Yahweh or Jehovah she uses it in verse 32 29 32 because the Lord has seen my affliction in verse 33 the Lord, because the Lord has heard and then in verse 35 this time I will praise the Lord and remember That child, the fourth son there in verse 35 is Judah, and Judah is the ancestor of Christ, born to Leah. All right, so this is what happens here in this chapter. Well, what have we seen? Just to emphasize a few points. We have seen that it is very clear in this passage that all life, all conception comes from God. He is the giver of life. This is clear from Genesis 1:28 that when God does give this life, it says, And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Right? To be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth is a blessing of God. And that's the first blessing announced to Adam and Eve. And that was announced to both Adam and Eve. That's the first commandment announced to Adam and Eve. Probably... Once they were married in Genesis 2, the commandment not to eat from any tree of the garden uh, or from the one tree of the the garden, but eat of all the other ones that was given to Adam. But then the command to be fruitful and multiply as a blessing was given to both of them because it says in Genesis 128 and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply after he created male and female. So they were commanded with this blessing, anticipating the coming of children. I I want to emphasize this point because it is so attacked today in the world. Our culture attacks it. Not just our culture, but cultures worldwide attack this notion that having families or several children in families is not good. Uh, They attack it as not good. They say it's evil and it's wrong and you're going to destroy the planet if you do that. Actually, it's the opposite because in Genesis 9, in Genesis 9 also, God blessed Noah and his sons. God blessed Noah and his sons, it says in 9.1. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Well, Noah and his sons in their own generation, it would be impossible for them to fill the earth. No doubt. They could and would have had many children, but not millions and billions of children. There's no way that Noah and his sons would have done so. In fact, Noah did not bear any more or, or beget anymore and his wife did not bear anymore. Noah didn't, but his sons dead, did, did But God commands this to Noah and his sons, which means that the implication is if the earth is going to be full, it's going to be by the descendants of Noah, you and me, you and me. Now, immediately the application in Genesis has to do with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and building up a nation for the coming of Christ. There's no doubt about that. But the basic implication is That children are a blessing. First, marriage is a blessing. Children should be had in marriage, right? Only in marriage, not outside of marriage. And they are a blessing in marriage. This we have to recover as the people of God. Don't listen to the world that says, don't get married. Don't listen to the world that says, if you do get married, don't have any children. And then don't listen to the world that says, only have one child if you have to get married or if you choose to get married, only have one or at the most two. This is what they teach. And this is, this is made into policy in many governments to encourage the people to do it or even to force the people to do it. Yep. We shouldn't look at it that way. It does not come from Scripture to see it that way. Even in the New Testament, the New Testament expects there to be marriage and the bearing of children. Marriage and the bearing of children. 1 Timothy... 1 Timothy chapter 2 First Timothy chapter 2 verse 15 1 Timothy 2:15 He gives instructions in this part of the chapter to men and to women and then in verse 15 he explains the proper role and place of women 15 Women shall be preserved through the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctification with self-restraint. They are preserved through the bearing of children wherein they demonstrate faith, love, sanctification with self-restraint. This is their primary manifestation or demonstration of them practicing godliness Faith, love, sanctification with self-restraint when they bear children. And this, of course, assumes that they are married. Chapter 5, First Timothy 5. Oh, no, let's go to chapter 4. First Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. 1 Timothy 4.1. But the Spirit explicitly says that in later times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons, By means of the hypocrisy of liars, seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. Men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods, which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude, for it is sanctified by means of the Word of God and prayer. In verses 1 and 2, The Apostle Paul talks about the seriousness of what he is addressing, does he not? The Holy Spirit explicitly teaches it. People are going to fall away, fall away from the faith. They're paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by means of the hypocrisy of liars, hypocrisy of liars, seared, seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. So he's explaining something or about to explain something that's extremely dangerous and destructive and satanic. And who would have thought that Paul would say, forbidding marriage and abstaining from foods? Who would have thought Paul would bring those things up? Perhaps we would think if we didn't know any better and we just stopped at verse 2, we would think, well, maybe he's going to describe mass murder which would be grossly sinful. Or maybe he's about to describe uh, the worship of idols and dancing before idols and pretending or thinking that the idol is a god. Perhaps he's going to describe something that blatantly wrong. But no, forbidding marriage and abstaining from foods. People do that. They forbid marriage. They disdain it. They mock it and they ridicule it. Chapter 5, 1 Timothy five, fourteen. This is addressing what to do with widows. And if we have a young widow, what should the young widow do? 1 Timothy 5.14, it says, Therefore, I want younger widows to get married, bear children, keep house, and give the enemy no occasion for reproach, for some have already turned aside to follow Satan. Now, who is following Satan? He describes in this chapter that they are followers of Satan because they are practicing sin when they are young widows and they should be about practicing godliness and how does he teach them to behave in godliness? Get married, bear children, keep house, and give the enemy no occasion for reproach. Get married, bear children, keep house. That's how he instructs them. So, This should be our attitude, and these are just a few of the passages, Old and New Testament, that we could bring to bear on this subject. This is expected of all of us to think this way and to practice this way. Um, Another uh, matter to address here is that these patriarchs and matriarchs are more godly than we typically grant. They are more godly than we typically grant. I'm not saying, and the Bible's not saying, that they are sinless, that they are perfect after their conversion. There's no way the Bible is teaching that. Uh, Who can say, I have cleansed my heart, I am pure from my sin? Mm -hmm. Proverbs 20, verse 9. Nobody can say that. Uh, There's surely, surely not a righteous man on earth who is uh, who um, does not sin? Does not sin. Who never sins uh, in First Kings eight forty six. So these passages are very clear. Um, if if we say that we have no sin, we have no sin right now. We have no sin. Not in the past. But right now, we have no sin. We are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. 1 John 1, 8. It's very clear that we are all sinners. And as we pointed out in verses 1 and 2, Rachel is being jealous of her sister, and she wrongfully accuses Jacob. Jacob rightfully is angry at his wife Rachel and puts her in her place by saying am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? Jacob is looking at it correctly, Rachel incorrectly and sinfully. Now, having said that, we still shouldn't come to these passages as fault finders and nitpickers seeking to see how woefully deficient Jacob, Rachel, Isaac, Rebecca, Abraham, Sarah, and anybody else in, in Genesis or the Old Testament, how they are woefully lacking and so as to diminish them and their example and then to raise us up like this and put us on the same level with them or even above, or even above them. Because when we are disdaining and we're criticizing them, we are actually above them. We are sitting as their judges. We can't do that. We have to have a sober, objective, realistic, rational, logical, accurate interpretation. This is why I think it says so often here, which we saw, God, 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 the Lord, the Lord, the Lord. They prayed to the Lord, God answered their prayers in relation to these, in, even in the midst of conflict, God was answering their prayers yeah. to bless them. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Amen.